Welcome to the Court of Valids podcast. It is day 24 of quarantine and I am in desperate need of a hair tie and or a haircut. I'm Joe and I'm joined by Muse. Hi. <laughs> and V. Hi. Normally we're a comic podcast that uploads weekly where you can check the show notes for which comics we've covered that week and their timestamps so that you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or aren't interested in reading. In this episode, we're doing things a little bit differently. Three of us yesterday decided that we were going to sit back, relax, enjoy ourselves a nice movie. We couldn't find anything, so we went with Harley Quinn Birds of Prey, which we heard was a real doozy. Boy, was it. This movie was directed by Kathy Yan. It was produced by Margot Robbie, who plays Harley Quinn. It was also produced by Brian Unkless and Sue Kroll, and it was written by Christina Hodson. The current rating for this movie, as the time of this recording right now, it's got a 6.2 on IMDb, a 78 on Rotten Tomatoes, 60% on Metacritic, and a 3.7 audience rating. The budget for this movie was $84.5 million, which, in terms of comic book movies, that is very low. It made $33 million opening box office weekend domestically, and it made most of its money globally, with now nearing $200 million. Originally, the title of this movie was Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. They decided to change the title of the movie to Harley Quinn Birds of Prey a month after its big debut because they saw their numbers weren't really going well. And also because of COVID-19, Warner Brothers decided to release the film early to video on demand, which is why we were able to watch it. Do you really think that that had a negative impact to release it early on demand? I think it probably allowed easier access since it was coming out at a rough time when things were just starting to shut down because of COVID-19. So that probably affected a lot of people's numbers. Yeah, because I know that even Disney's film Onward, which was slated to do really well, I was looking forward to it and it came out like a week or two before a lot of jobs started to shut down it definitely killed the box office well even dvd releases because frozen 2 disney decided to release that three months early on the one hand i totally agree with you that this is a negative because it, it is a bad time for people to be wasting money on frivolous stuff on the other hand that's all i've been seeing people do online because they have nothing else to do. They're home. I don't see it as a negative impact. I mean, definitely it wasn't going to do anything for the box office. Because again, all movie theaters started shutting down around the time of its debut. And then at least about a month and a half, once they changed the name, I want to say like at least another week or two after, that's when they, like, they finally said, okay, all this needs to be shut down because it's not considered essential. Well, it's not even legal to go now, is it? No, it's not. So the real problem here is like, should we be including the numbers from direct sales as well? Because that's the new box office. The new box office is a home viewing from what YouTube I or saw, Amazon. I couldn't really find much about it, just that it was released on three platforms, which actually does not include DC Universe membership because they can't make money off of it. So as of right now, you can buy the movie for 20 bucks off of Amazon Prime, YouTube TV, and then like one other platform, or you can rent it for six bucks. So you're saying it was a bit of a disappointment domestically? It was definitely considered a huge flop domestically because, again, it made most of its money internationally. But then again, the box office isn't including the people who are buying the movies at home and stuff right now. I mean, this is a superhero film. 
in a time where superhero films are like the creme de la creme mm-hmm. of movie going experience right now. So for that to be a huge flop as it was, it's not good. I understand these big companies trying to put a lot of the movies that they just released onto platforms because you got to make money somewhere. But like at least Black Widow and Wonder Woman can get pushed back a bit. Those are going to make them a lot of money. And I would like to see them in theaters. I would love to see them in theaters. I'm so glad I did not see this in theaters because I probably wouldn't have finished it. No, that's not true. I would have sat through the whole thing and just tortured myself, as I did. And going down our little list here, first up we have is the comedy of the film. I personally felt like it was very borderline Deadpool with a little more geared towards dumb. (laughs) Well, it's obviously geared towards dumb people, said Joe. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. Based off of the first interactions with her monologuing to herself, having little animated versions of things, her being like, hold on, wait, let me flash back. If you think about it, that's how Deadpool did a couple of things in the first film, but his funny flashbacks were funny. They didn't last very long, and they were very quick. Harley's just ripped you out of the current plot, an ongoing action, to just give you asinine backstory about characters, and it was dumb. I think it was also the fact that it worked for Deadpool because that is Deadpool, where he is known for narrating everything. And like, yes, a lot of comic book characters narrate their own titles, but you don't see that in the movies. I honestly had no problem with her narrating. The concept of her being quirky and even like a little bit twee, honestly, her sense of humor got under my skin so fast because it was a lot of the same thing a Mm -hmm. lot of jokes weren't landing but she just kept trying so hard to play up this character as if like just her existence was comedy like just her doing quirky stuff was enough to make you go ah i see you're a different kind of woman (laughs) brava you know that kind of thing we're we're just supposed to be impressed that she's playing harley quinn so well Mm -hmm. but the thing i had with the flashbacks And honestly, it was not only the death of comedy, but the death of drama. Every time that movie started to get interesting, every time something cool started to happen that wasn't happening to Harley Quinn, she would interrupt them. Mm -hmm. And it did not strike me as a Deadpool moment. It reminded me of Vampire's New Groove. That's what I was thinking! I just was expecting her to run out in front of it with a mark and go, This is not about them. This is about me. And start circling herself, you know? That moment in Emperor's New Groove is funny because it's very short and then it moves on. Like, yeah, it kind of interrupts the drama, but it doesn't take an entire segment of flashback. Oh no, it's perfectly timed. Like, the moment where Kronk is like running around singing over, or there's like a sad moment, it starts to get a little too heavy. He pulls it back. So he's not like interrupting important elements. And then when he does put it back, he puts it back exactly where he left Mm -hmm. it. And like you said, it's short. So you're like, where were we again? The flashback in the police office was the worst. Because she comes barreling in with her party gun shooting people. And you're like, okay, things are ramping up. And as she goes to ask about where Cassandra Kane is, it's just, oh, wait, I forgot something. The next 20 minutes. I think the main one for me was the Huntress flashback because we start getting into that and she's like, oh, wait, I knew I forgot something. Okay, let me back it up again. And it's the little things like that where it's in the middle of a dialogue, especially. 
it takes you right out of the scene. It's one thing if you want to give a brief explanation of the character. It's another thing if you're going to give that flashback a good like five to ten minutes before going back to where you were. Because then you have that little bit of time where you're trying to remember. It's like, okay, wait a minute. How do we get right here again? And didn't the director say something about how she wanted everyone to feel off-kilter the whole time? Yes. It <laughs> reminds you constantly that you're watching a movie. It never lets you feel like any of these characters are real. You never get a chance to settle in and get sucked into the movie. You never get to be pulled in or charmed by the narration or the story, even if it didn't have issues. The fact that these long, terribly placed flashbacks keep you completely disconnected, it's the feeling you get when you're trying to go to sleep and someone's waking you up every three hours on a plane. They're trying to be helpful. They're like, do you want some peanuts? And you're like, I just want to get to my REM cycle. Can you back off? <laughs> and that's all I'm feeling about this movie. I'm like, I just want to connect with one of these characters. Could you give us a minute? I almost was invested in Huntress for like half a second. He's like, oh, how are you? And she's like, um, and then, Harley Quinn here. <laughs> I've got a stick. And it's like, I would like a moment without you, please. And last I checked, this is called the Birds of Prey in the title. I would like to see one bird of prey, just mm. one. And it's not Montoya day drinking. It's not, I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting into characters, all this stuff. I was going to list off all these people's characters because they can be summed up in one sentence and then nothing deeper than that. Yeah, pretty much. Sorry, it got so irritating because it was constantly like, is Harley Quinn quirky enough for you? And you're like, I guess. That's not a substitute for humor. Would you like her to be dressed like a Muppet? Would that be fun for you? <laughs> here's a bunch of caution tape. She made an outfit out of it. Would you like to see her stop at any point where she's in danger and diffuse the situation by showing that she's just going to get out of it because she's lucky? Would you like that? Would you like to feel like there's never any danger for a main character? So like, it's not just her horrible personality. It's not just this horrible comedic slapstick twee humor, which I'm just going to keep saying that. It's twee humor. It's that mm -hmm. humor that's in certain young adult Marvel, no offense, comics where they're like, Hey fellow kids, I'm 45, but I know exactly what you guys like. You like random stuff. I've been on TikTok. I've seen it. I'm not going to mention the name, but I'm just going to make a little check mark here on my little bingo card. If it's from DC, it's not even someone I'm talking about, Joe. Uh, he used to work at Marvel. <laughs> he did. Right. <laughs> Worked on someone um, who rhymes with Myron Hart. Anyways. <laughs> Talking about the super hipster nonsense, like with Jimmy Olsen or Encard, or yeah. uh, certain individuals where they're like, haha, I stepped in poop, and you're like, oh, that was your joke, that was the punchline, wasn't it? Mm. It is that sort of like, I saw kids enjoying TikTok once, and I thought they liked random humor. And so we see a bunch of her doing random stuff. Like obsessing over a breakfast sandwich for yes. 10 minutes. That scene was so predictable. How obvious are your punchlines? They're not just childish, they're predictable. And the jokes when they are trying to telegraph a joke is coming, it's so drawn out. It's like, it's gonna knock your socks off. It's so funny. <laughs> and you're like, I know what the punchline is. It's coming. Yeah, I know. And then it comes and they're like, ha ha! Space for a laugh track. Done. <laughs> Nailed it. It's awful. And stylistically though, I think that they were overselling Harley Quinn because she did so well in Suicide Squad. She was the standout character. Mm -hmm. 
but when you get all Harley all the time, it's the same with the minions. They were like, yeah. you thought these guys were funny, right? And you're like, yeah, those were pretty funny. You're gonna do all minions all the time, and you're like, oh It's like no. Disney with Frozen. How like they had the huge Frozen boom in 2012 or whatever, and they're like, you guys love that? They're like, yeah, great, because we're just gonna be playing Frozen nonstop here on Disney Channel. And then people are like, but you know, I also appreciated Big Hero say, let it go, buddy. Let it go. <laughs> Yeah, was it not too much Harley? You're titling it Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn at the very end, so you're expecting, okay, Harley Quinn's gonna be a key character, it's not gonna be the main character, it's gonna be a side thing. But you start off with Harley, you run it with Harley, and you end it with Harley. And that's another reason why they decided to put her name up front a month later with the name change. It was just Harley was the punchline. Yep. And so it wasn't just mm -hmm. like, uh, we didn't like seeing her so much. It's just that that was the joke. It's Harley Quinn being Harley Quinn. And she's not a sidekick now. She's not being that little person who chimes in with the big baddie to add some levity. She is that comic relief character with no one to slow her down or be her foil. There was nobody like calling her out. Yeah, no. Canary did occasionally, but it wasn't to the degree yeah. that was really needed because, like we said, it was just all Harley all the time. And this is a Birds of Prey movie. They were barely in it. They were one-note characters. They just seemed to be there to move the plot along. And it was a disgrace. I think a lot of it was because the director didn't know any of these characters except for Harley Quinn. And I'm just going out on a limb here, but that's what it really looked like. It reminded me a lot of Gotham High. Kathy Ann didn't really know these characters. She knew that Harley Quinn sold was a very misdirection thing. And it's really surprising too, especially the fact that Margot Robbie has been working on this film since 2015 when they started working on Suicide Squad because she fell in love with Harley Quinn so much. Her and Christina Hodgson were actually working together on this before Kathy Ann came along. Well, it certainly shows that she loves Harley Quinn. There's a lot of Harley Quinn in mm -hmm. this. She's got the accent down. She's got the quirky walk down. But here's the thing, if you want to compare this to Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds, when they actually got it, it wasn't like, oh, I know how Deadpool acts. Oh, I know his backstory and we're gonna make this all about him and who cares about everything else, you know? Mm -hmm. it, everybody was playing up to their strengths. You had Colossus. He was being very Colossus. You recognize that character and you recognize how he's acting and you find it endearing. And they didn't even have to go into too much backstory because you know the character and he didn't need it because it wasn't supposed to be like a heartwarming thing mm -hmm. for Deadpool to know him. Deadpool barely knew him. It was the Deadpool movie. It wasn't Deadpool right. and the X-Men. It was him and then these side characters. And four side characters where you don't get their backstory. Deadpool didn't say, hold up, hold up. I'm going to talk to you for 30 minutes mm -hmm. about how Colossus started at the X-Men. Because we didn't need to know. He was never going to get developed to that level. It was just like, here's what you need to know. And we're going to show you without exposition. Colossus is caring. He's a little bit too straight-laced, but he comes from a good place. Mm -hmm. And he's almost impenetrable. And so physically, he's a great foil for Deadpool. And mentally, because they have different philosophies. He's establishing his cred with every scene, basically. Right. He's saying, I know these characters. You know these characters. We both love them. We're going to treat them respectfully and we're not going to waste any screen time with them on like trying to establish that cred because we're going to just develop them as characters. Mm -hmm. That showed a good a sense of screenwriting because they were keeping it lean, they were keeping the jokes tight, 
it also showed with him with some of the other characters that like I didn't recognize any of them mm -hmm. they still gave them a great performance so if you don't know who they are they didn't give you any backstory but they show you who they are as you see them and even with the referential humor they're nodding to things within the established universe which Harley Quinn did try one she referenced how she got a bomb stuck in her head that was within her right. own continuity and of course reference to Joker and pin pointed to the Captain Boomerang wanted poster in the police station. These other characters are not minor characters like this stuff in Deadpool. And I felt more pulled towards Blind Al and Dopender compared to Montoya, who's struggling with all of this stuff that just seems so superficial and you don't care. I think the other problem with that too, coming again from the director, it was a lot of misdirection because these characters aren't exactly being described well enough to the actors to portray them. True. It's definitely on that. Black Mask. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go Zaz. I look, Black Mask is bad, but Zaz was so bizarre. I have top three on my list and it's Black Mask and Victor Zaz are tied for number one. Well, they're the same, a confusing character. Yeah. And then Cassandra Kane is right under them. And then number three, I have Montoya. And Huntress, actually. <laughs> there wasn't, like, much screen time for Huntress. Well, the other problem is that out of a 90-minute film, you spent a third of it giving backstory to every individual character. Well, and, like, here's another thing I want to point out. And I know I've complained about the backstory before, but, like, to me, this entire film is example of the role show don't tell because they are just constantly telling you things about these characters you don't get to experience them they're doing voiceovers while she's a little kid but they don't show you who this person is now they don't show you anything except for uh she's been training to assassinate him and they they cut back to her fighting all the time they're like this is all that matters is that she is fighting a tree or whatever you need to know that she can fight and i'm like i know everyone can fight everyone in this show can fight even people who shouldn't be able to fight, they can fight. I know that. Thank you for that. But like... I think it's because they also live in a world where everybody fights very poorly choreographed. All the villains are worse than stormtroopers. <laughs> that was also a lot, again, like I'm putting it on a director because they have to decide how that scene is going to get shot. And I don't just mean who's fighting who, how they're going to be fighting. I also mean the camera angle because the position of the camera does a lot for the movie. It hides a lot of things, including all of those missed punches. There's so much slow-mo. Slow-mo is usually used in very dramatic fashion when you want to show someone precisely trying to hit somebody and showing impact or a bullet going and being like, oh no, is the bullet going to hit that person? Most fight choreography is very fast and very rapid because you want to be able to cover up those small mistakes that just show up and there is so much of it. And it's different than like fast forwarding it, like trying to speed it up, but actually moving quicker as well and they move so dang slow yeah and it really does highlight when they are like missing person and mm. pretending that they were impacted the one scene that really sticks out to me is the black canary fight scene where she decides to go help harley quinn you see several of the thugs that they're fighting get ready for the hit that's coming from one of the twenty thousand spin kicks or flip kicks you see their head go down they realize the kick didn't come yet they lift their head up and then they see the kick and then the head goes down again a lot of that also has to do with directing 
and the position of where you're shooting the scene. And I get like in an alley, you're very limited to where you can position the camera and the crew, but you have to make it work somehow. I see a lot of similarities between this and Suicide Squad, but like not in the fighting. I remember really enjoying the fighting in Suicide Squad, but it could just be because it was compared to everything else. <laughs> but I think it was a lot faster. Was it not? Like that it was definitely faster. The elevator? Mm -hmm. And like they cut away so you can see them like just kind of fighting off in the background. So you don't have mm -hmm. to like yeah. watch them constantly like missing or trying to catch her or set her up. I think it was also a little bit more enjoyable too compared to this one because with Suicide Squad you have a major variety of cast. Exactly. Each of them have their own different fighting style and they're all fighting in a different way. Somebody's using guns, somebody's using flames, somebody's using a metal bat, someone's fighting into another person. And then you have over here where everyone is pretty much kind of fighting the same way. It felt very pandering. I felt pandered too. Because they were like, hello fellow women. Don't you also like that feeling when you can kick a man by just setting your foot down slowly and then fly to the other side of the room? Isn't that a good feeling? And you're just like, yeah, I too have beaten people up while putting on my hairband and my hair was in my face and I put zero force into any of these kicks. That's how that works. It reminded physics. me a lot of season one Supergirl's punches. <gasps> it does! Oh, you're yeah. so right. <laughs> But aside from that, one of the main things, again, they're not directed well enough to make this believable. Harley Quinn is doing the most because she loves the character. They just expect you to fall in love with all these other characters through these five to ten minute origin stories that they're all given. But at the end of the day, you can give two shits about them. Which, once again, they are talking over. They are explaining these characters to you. You're not seeing anything sympathetic on their own. Like, the only one who even gets some sympathy is Mary. Canary throughout is given moments of humanity. Everybody else, she just tells you what to feel about them. She's like, this is so-and-so. They're sitting with this person. They were betrayed by this person. This happened, this happened, this happened. You're like, I need a little bit more than you doing bad narration. And if you couldn't get it from the bad narration, just wait until the music kicked in because the song that plays is going to describe exactly what happened to you. Another note on the acting in general, we have these fantastic actors and actresses. Like you have freaking Margot Robbie, who is an incredible actress, and Ewan McGregor. And it just fell flat and you're like, what, what happened here? It really is that director being at fault. We've seen this in countless other movies where other actors have been in terrible films and no amount of their acting could save the film. Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, yeah, like, yes, I, I love seeing him in the tights, but stay with Geralt if this is how the writing for Superman's going to continue. Going off of that, one of the main things in terms of, like, characters and, you know, these famous actors, like Muse was saying, I love Ewan McGregor so much. And you can tell he wasn't directed how to play Black Mask. He played Black Mask in a different portrayal every single scene I believe I saw him in. He went from Joker acting to this man who's disgusted by everything, but he has no problem peeling a face off. But as soon as he sees a booger, oh no, that's it. I wasn't really sure what they were trying to establish with that scene. I mean, I got like the cruelty... He's scary, he's unpredictable, but like also his motivations as a character were always up in the air. Like, does he want power? Does he want beauty? Does he want people to fear him? Does he want people to love him? What is his goal? And like he starts to talk about his parents or something and Harley kind of just cuts him off because she has to narrate him too. 
Mm-hmm. She has to diagnose him. Well, she, her diagnosis was they're trying to make your parents love you. Like, is that does that still count as a diagnosis in these current times where we've talked about mental illness a bit more? Do we now say everything is Freud, or is, is that just Harley talking to talk? His whole backstory was kind of up in the air, and I would have liked to have understood what was at stake with him because he was loony. He was not scary. He was just weird. And it was coming back to that quirky tweeness. He has this moment where he's introducing Canary to all of his treasures. And it's definitely ad lib. He's just making stuff up as he talks. And it, if there was any script direction, his delivery is like an SNL kind of feel where he's just like talking about like, oh, look at this. Is this it? Yeah. Weird, right? And like, he's, he's doing weird stuff to like kind of make the person next mm-hmm. to him crack up. And she is sort of almost cracking up, which I don't think was the emotion that they were supposed to be going for. Then. It was very portrayed as she's supposed to look fake interested, but she's looking around for like somebody to tell her like what the fuck is going on here. Like there was exposition delivered in that scene from Zaz, and mm. it was weird just kind of like hey i have pertinent information for you and he's like can't you see i'm talking and so he lets him talk a little bit more really flounder into this weird not important not ever relevant again conversation where he's like chewing up the scenery and then it's very important here it is here's the exposition you wanted and the guy's like oh way to bury the lead now we have to go to point b and he takes Canary. So it's not like he's keeping him from Canary or he's acting jealously. He's just like, I was at some point supposed to deliver this information, so I'm going to deliver it in the most boring way possible while you chew up the scenery and she also stutters through her line. There was one point too where she, they were at the bar, he's humiliating the one patron there, and I swear she broke character for a split second because I saw her laugh when she's supposed to be terrified. This was all very poorly done, and I definitely agree, like that whole scene was definitely ad lib. It looked like they were all kind of looking towards each other, like when are we supposed to stop? It's like that scene in Ghostbusters where they're all talking over each other trying to get the bigger laugh from each other. Actually, a lot of scenes in Ghostbusters, a lot of that comes back down to the editor and, of course, the director, where it's just like, you have to be able to weed bad stuff out. Like, did you not have any better takes? Like we said, the director was probably not giving any of these people direction. He was probably trying to take multiple takes on, okay, maybe making him more manic and Joker-like. Oh, we didn't like that? Let's do another shoot. And I'm going to make him more serious. And then I'm going to do him in this way. And the editor was like, I don't know. He did better in this shot. And just pick random scenes that didn't really even keep a cohesive character at all. There are better ways of going out that. Well, and then that comes back to our understanding of the characters in DC, right? Like, mm-hmm. we know who Roman Sanus is. Like, we've seen him portrayed again and again. There is a consistency in comics that writers have to adhere to. So why wouldn't someone who is telling the story in a visual medium try to at least reference that? The only thing he has in common with Black Mask is that he owns ugly, ill-fitting Black Mask. A lot of the similarities for these characters that were portrayed in the film, the main similarity was the name, especially with Black Mask, Victor Zaz, and Cassandra Kane. Cassandra Kane at the most extreme. 
because she diverted so far off compared to her regular origin story of being a trained mute assassin yeah. and then becoming Batgirl. <laughs> and Victor Zaz, who we know is a very freakish killer who marks every single death on his body and instead he is begging to peel someone's face off after licking them and meowing like a cat. <laughs> Yeah, that was... <laughs> when you put it like that, it does sound like everyone on the set was on shrooms. It's sad seeing as there's a better Victor Zaz in Gotham, of all places. True. The Gotham show. That yeah. is a very good Zaz. That is a very good actor, and he had direction. Or he went and researched his character. This guy was just, I don't know. He looked like a regular gangster to me. Yeah. I don't know much about Modern Canary. I used to read the old Black Canary back when she was super into her motorcycle and fishnets. And but even better than that, you also read the Birds of Prey comic. Oh, that's true. Well, listen, uh, some of the versions I read were like, girls all talk the same, right? And they all fight, like, constantly? Is that what girls do? And it was absolute torture. <laughs> so I'm not advocating every version of Black Canary I've seen, but... I didn't recognize her. It was very generic, not hero. She was just a driver who had like the bird call. So they kept her power intact. Her and they kept her Diana. origin story of her mom being the previous Black Canary. Yeah, if that's all it takes. I mean, I didn't really recognize her in any of her character or the rest of her backstory. Like I didn't see that. The one with the motorcycle was Huntress, who does have a motorcycle in the comics. Mm -hmm. They kept up with her wearing a mask at the very end. They kept her stoic behavior intact, but she has, like, really wooden delivery. <laughs> Which, I mean, she's played Ramona Flowers, where she was a really stoic character who was low emotion, um, low effort. She plays a villain in Sky High who was a better actor than whatever she turned in yeah. in this performance. How is her acting in Sky High better <laughs> than in this blockbuster where she gives every delivery as if she's not sure if that was the line? Like, she just constantly looks confused and off. Just gives this performance like, I don't really want to be here, I'll give this line with about 2% effort, I don't really care. That might be why she's only in, like, five cumulative minutes <laughs> yeah and the joke around her name as well was stupid it, it pans to everyone like the crossbow killer the crossbow killer the crossbow killer and then she's like huntress and it's like like what you were saying is very wooded very robotic from huntress and i think they were trying to make her seem relatable by saying look she's not perfect she's not she's that awkward formidable she yeah she's socially awkward don't you relate? She's quirky too. <laughs> but we're gonna spend five minutes on her, but her backstory, we're gonna spend like 30 minutes, and also it's going to be the driving force of this plot. Which again, story in this movie was all over the freaking place. It was a simple premise. I don't know how you could screw it up this bad. It's just a MacGuffin. They tried to complicate it, but the problem is that they complicated it too much. So now the only connecting points in the movie only connect because the plot needs it to. It's also just a misappropriation of time. Like, they took a bunch mm -hmm. of the time that should have been spent developing a lot of these side characters, and they put it all in Harley Quinn. They give us the Birds of Prey, they deprive us of Babs, who is the Birds of Prey, mm -hmm. <laughs> and 
they, they're like, look at these misfits. You want Montoya? And I'm like, sure, I love Montoya. And then they give me this old <laughs> alcoholic. And they're like, look at her. She's they gave a great you female cop. Harvey Bullock. She really was Harvey yes! Bullock. 100% Harvey. Like, I do my own legwork and everyone takes my credit. I can't tell the difference between her drunk acting and her regular acting. It could be she's always drunk. I'm going to assume it because there's no change. So she just drunkenly goes to Black Canary and she's like, you know what, I had a deal with your former driver who had your job and I want you to do it now. And all she has to offer her is some coffee. Like that's how you turn a person into an informant? Really? You just sloppily go over to their apartment in the morning like, hey, I know <laughs> you work for a criminal who will kill you if you give me a, here's some coffee. I knew your mom. And she's like, yeah, the cops got my mom killed. Well, that would never happen with me. And you're like, how would she know? You're just some strange drunk. The same on reason that, why she knew that an explosion at Ace Chemicals meant Harley and the Joker were broken up. Yeah. <laughs> Found a J on the ground. That's Harley's necklace. As we all know, she has a J necklace. And that if this one building blows up, it means those two have broken up. You would think they were selecting a new pope. It's like, oh... <laughs> Multicolored smoke? <laughs> Looks like Harley's got a new relationship status. Oh my gosh. And all the men were treated poorly in this film. Oh, you mean they were treated poorly by the story? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, Joseph, they were all monsters. <laughs> Don't you know? All men in this world are basically waiting to hurt a woman. That's like their goal in life. They're like, there was why only... wait? One man that did no wrong in this whole film because his one job was to make a breakfast sandwich. If you think about it, every other man in this film did some type of wrong to one of the main cast. Yeah, you're not wrong there. One detective refused to take pictures until his male superior told him to, after Montoya told him to. The main detective kicked Montoya off the case. The whole black mask and Victor's ass thing. Every single mobster. Mm, but, oh, what was that song that Canary was singing so blatantly in the club that summarizes the... <laughs> message of in this film by james yeah. brown yeah huntress they didn't like totally destroy her character like she was the most intact outside of harley they, i knew they were going to destroy Cass, so like my feelings uh, weren't hurt as soon as we saw her in the trailer yeah. i was like what like, that's not Cass. Is that really it's isn't not close it's barely stephanie brown <laughs> like, i was gonna say like again they just took a name slapped it on they're like okay go I mean, have fun is it to read a comic book up a comic book. Apparently like, very. You, you still could have had Cassandra Kane in the film. It would have worked. It would have been you, more layered. Yeah, and then you could have definitely used her as a foil for Harley because she doesn't talk your ear off. And if you actually had a good director who could direct their actors, everything would be done subtly. But apparently this director doesn't understand subtlety at That's all. for men. Men do subtlety. Women are stupid. Mm. We mm -hmm. need everything spelled out to us. We need every song to be about us. We probably need a Joan Jett song at some point of every film. Yeah, we get the table scraps. And I hate to say it because it sounds like I'm complaining and I hate complaining. But every film I see where they're like, 
this is another film for women. We dedicate this to the sisterhood. I'm like, oh, it's crap. Because if it wasn't, they would be like, this is a movie. Go watch it. But instead, it's like, you're going to love it because you're a woman. Look into my eyes. If you are a real woman, you will love this. If you don't, it's a betrayal. That's what I'm saying. And it's just like, I only hear like the chanting when it's going to be bad. I hear it in the distance. It better get on board or else. Honestly, there's no consequences. You said it once before, too. It's okay to dislike things. True. It's okay to dislike things made by a man. It's okay to dislike things made by thing, a woman. It's pandering. Like, wouldn't you get annoyed if you're watching a movie and it's constantly about, uh, broads. What are we gonna do with them? They're just the worst. You mean the 40s? <laughs> and every woman's betraying every man and they're just like, kill him. He's got a penis. It would, you would be really irritated. You'd be like, this is a weird world. I don't enjoy any of these characters right now. It's like, okay, like, yes, it's Gotham City. Yes, there are a lot of mm -hmm. asshole men in portrayed in films and stuff. But you tend to notice when every single man is portrayed in this light. Well, in full fairness, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I'm just going to remind you of one thing. Every woman was an asshole as well. Including our main <laughs> character, who wanted to sell a kid, save her own skin, knowing that kid would be gutted from stem to stern. She was willing to groom a child to think she was the greatest person on earth. She sheltered this kid. She got the kid to trust her. Then she takes the kid to a rendezvous point, which none of the other characters would have done. Like the other women in this group, they want to save the girl. Harley Quinn, our main character, our sympathetic anti-hero, who is supposed to be learning some kind of big lesson after her breakup, takes this child to a serial killer and types her to a toilet. And she's just like, yeah, you're probably thinking I'm a bad person. You are the villain. You're the worst <laughs> person. Why are we still with you? You're not the main character anymore. <laughs> We're taking that away from you. We're giving it to Cass. You're a monster. And then with no reason for her change, very reminiscent of Suicide Squad, and they're like, suddenly we're a family scene. She meets up with all these women who are like, kind of confused. They don't exactly want to kill each other, but they don't want to braid each other's hair either. They're just all standing there like awkwardly, and she's like, we're a team now. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I get it. You have a, a bunch of guys trying to kill you, but also you're the bitch who started this whole thing and the one who wanted to sell a child to be killed. Suddenly she's like, now I'm a hero. Just happened. Because there was no resolution. Because in the end, she runs off with the girl and the diamond in a car and learns nothing from her entire experience except me being independent is perfectly fine and I don't have to rely on anyone. I guess the resolution was she learned she didn't want to kill the kid, but she wanted to give her a new sandwich. I still feel like at any given point, she's still going to kill the kid. She made the kid her Robin. Yeah, it would have made more sense for her to be like Dula Dent or something. Yeah, that's true. Like, what kind of weird bad timeline would you have to be in? And by the way, her parents, I think, are still alive, right? They're just in the projects. She was like waiting outside there. So it's not even close. They missed every single factor 
of Orphan. Random person, same name. You could have just made her a brand new character. Didn't need to be cast. Didn't need to be like any pre-existing thing. Just make her a kid. It's more of the pandering because they figure the more things they could load into this film, the more reason people would go see it. They're like, look at Cassandra Cain. And it's not Cassandra Cain. It's a turtle in a wig. That wasn't (laughs) against the actress. I was just saying like a sideshow analogy. Yeah. (laughs) But it kind of had that sort of abruptness when I looked at it in the trailer. Like Cassandra would be mute and moody and she's an assassin and she's like a very scary child. That's a very bubbly pickpocket, sort of clumsy, running around being all crazy. A very obvious oh, pickpocket. So it. it was so bad. Like, it upset me. That was so obvious. Stealing multiple things on that one block. Like, how obvious can you be? Each group to the next, like it's Assassin's Creed. <laughs> she was in full gamer mode. <laughs> It was a mess. I wanted to leave pretty close to the beginning. Yeah. It was just not fun. It wasn't a fun romp. It, it felt grimy. It felt slapped together. I like bad movies. You guys know I love bad movies. So I really wanted to watch some bad movies. I wanted to get some chuckles in. I didn't feel like it was bad enough to be enjoyable, you know? It was no. just. It was sad. It felt like there was no real love to it. Aside from Margot Robbie, I felt like everyone else was phonied it in. I mean, the kid was clearly not phonied it in. It was. Justice League with Gal Gadot. <laughs> Gal Gadot Bless gave it her all. Just made it more obvious that everybody else was phoning it in. But yeah, this was not lovingly made. The director, like, what did she say, Joe? So April 3rd, she actually did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter where she was discussing the rates and reviews of the movie and saying that undue expectations on a female-led movie, what I was most disappointed in was this idea that perhaps the opening weekend proved that we weren't ready for a female-led movie. (laughs) And she also said that... It's an extra burden that as a woman of color director already had on me anyway. And I definitely do feel that everyone was pretty quick to jump on a certain angle. So her main gripe is she feels that the reason people are bashing on this is because she's a woman of color. Which, as we've discussed, I don't think we ever brought up the fact that she's a woman of color. Nope. Nope. I loved Wonder Woman. Most of it. I hated the finale. Everybody knows I hated the end scene. It undermined the entire point of the rest of the movie. We all hated Ian's. But here's the thing. The rest of the movie was pure art and it was fun. And Mm -hmm. the characters had chemistry and they were well placed because the director loved Wonder Woman. And not just Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman's whole world, which was fully fleshed out. The side characters were lovingly portrayed. Everything was treated with such high quality. You can trust a storyteller like that because they're going to take you on a fun trip but they're also going to respect the IP that they are borrowing to tell the story because they're not going to take these characters and go, I hate everything about them, change them. Or just say, I like the name because it'll get me money. Rip it off of them and paste it onto their own characters. And especially thinking like, I just need to take the names anyway because they're not going to want to see this movie. Deeply insecure. Like, nobody knows you're a woman of color when they're watching the movie. Also, I don't really sometimes look at directors. 
I only just recently started paying attention to directors, mm-hmm. producers, comic book writers, yeah. comic book artists, like the actual name. I've never heard of her. And it really is such a dick move to be like, well, it's because I'm a woman. Because women before you have made these films. Like, don't pretend that you are the first or like the only one doing this. There are other mm-hmm. women who are succeeding at this. And if you fail, it's not because of your gender. Yeah. I mean, very likely. I'm trying to think which circumstance it could be because of your gender, and I'm really drawing a blank. Yeah. I will say Greta Gerwin is probably a good example of this. She's gotten nominated and has won for being a director, and there are no female directors nominated this year, and she should have, to be honest, for Little Women. And people were in arms about that, but you don't deserve it because it was just a terrible movie. So you're like, I will stand a woman when it's deserved. When she actually does a dang good job. Or like a met job. Like, <laughs> even like a met. If you had 40%, but you gave 20% effort, I can't support that. And I knew that Margot Robbie was involved in this. And that's all I really knew about the film going into it. Well, that's also, you kept a blind eye to it. <laughs> I didn't really want to see the trailers. I saw some and I was no. But it looked colorful and it looked cute, but it just... Mm. A lot of mischaracterization. Which you don't see in the trailers. And... Speaking of one of those scenes that she felt had to be in the movie, without a doubt, hands down, needed to be in, that she fought for it, which was when he was humiliating the patron in the club. She was afraid that everybody was going to focus so much on the sexual violence that was taking place in that scene. They weren't going to pay attention that it was a major turning point for both Roman and Dinah. Dinah more so than Roman because she got to see who Roman truly was and gave her the reason why she needed to walk away from I am from so glad good. that she got to see who Roman was because I didn't and I watched the same scene as her. I was so confused. Roman owns a nightclub. It's a popular nightclub. People go there and enjoy themselves. Nightclubs are for that. A woman who clearly knows him by his first name and trusts him and is friendly with him. She goes there to party. He hears her laughing, which must happen a lot at clubs, but in this particular instance, He freaks out. He has this long, drawn-out scene where he gets her on the table. He has the other guy rip her clothes off with a knife. He doesn't really even finish it. The woman is still left her modesty. She's still holding it up against her. You don't see anything. It's just like that humiliation of like trying to make her suffer. Now, if you did this, would any women come to your club? This doesn't make sense in this world where he's a club owner. And yet this happened. And Canary's like, oh my gosh, this is the kind of guy I'm dealing with. Like that's who he is in that moment. He never has that kind of character in other places. He does lose his mind a little bit. He's very grabby. He's like, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Or he's like, I need control. And so in that scene where he mm-hmm. hears someone laughing, he's like, are they laughing at me? Baz is like, yeah, oh my gosh, dude. So, so laughing at you. She hates you, go kill her. Just throw fuel on the fire right there, Zaz. And also going with Canary, like seeing him for the first time like that, maybe in person because the day before she drove him to go murder that family exactly. and their yeah. faces off. Which makes no sense whatsoever in this context of the story. Like, she already knows this. He's a mobster. But this isn't just Black Mask, but it's a bunch of other well-known mobster Gothamites, like, and the Penguin. They run their club and they treat their guests like they're royalty because they're bringing money. And underneath it all, behind closed doors, they never show it to their guest. is anonymity. Because it sets a bad image, and also if when they do get in trouble, 
they have their respect. If he was so unhinged that he couldn't control it, he would not be in the position to run a club. No. He would have snapped multiple right. times before. This would not have been the first case. Despite Harley causing him issues, he's probably already had things that might be triggering to him. This man, for some odd reason, gets triggered at the stupidest things. And you could argue, like, he's getting a little bit crazier as he's denied his thing, that mm -hmm. he wants the thing so he can run all of Gotham, and he's been working towards it for years. Finally, he has it, and now he's under all this stress. But even before that, he was still being weird. So it wasn't yeah. like low, steady decline of health. It was him being constantly bizarre and twitchy and off. And he would constantly say weird things that didn't mesh with anything. It really made him look like he had a very tenuous grasp on reality and what was going on around him. This isn't that movie with the queen's going crazy, we have to pretend she's not. He's in a mm. business world where it's like shark eat shark. And if he were to demonstrate that level of crazy all the time in front of his competitors, they would get rid of him. They would have killed him by now. Honestly, Black Mask has always been slick. That's how he stays up. He's not, oh, I can't control myself. What will I do next? It's a tilt-a-whirl with me. Even with the Joker being like that, he still has control of his senses. This guy was out of his mind, loony. And Zaz was out of his mind loony. Like, they constantly acted like they were hopped up on cocaine. Like, they just did not know what was happening around them. Constantly stuck in their own little world of cruelty. Mm -hmm. For cruelty's sake, where it didn't make any sense, it didn't help them, and it didn't come back. There was no recurring behavior. Like you said, Joe, it was just someone different every scene. It just felt like they had no direction and canary seeing that no like that just makes her seem the worst because she was cool with him killing families of people she was cool with murder she knows he's a murderer at this point she knows he's dangerous and when asked about it she's like he's the man who took me off the street he gave me a job she sees him have a girl's clothes torn off that is it that's what it takes you're cool with murder but god forbid she'd be on a table not be murdered it doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense but somehow people were apparently able to relate to this internationally. According to Kathy Yan, where she was asked about the expectations for the film when she was making it, and because she comes from a very indie film background, she wasn't exactly sure what to expect. The only film that she made aside from this was Dead Pigs back in 2018. She said that she was really shocked about all the positive things from the global reach of the film and getting wonderful notes from people. Felt like they were seen for the first time in a movie movie like this and that they could identify with the characters on the screen even though they were in a heightened world but it was still a world that was very aspirational. A lot of these notes are from women and younger people really felt like their voices, their type of people, they themselves were represented for the first time there on the big screen. There are other roles where there shows women being strong or yes a woman that might be put down by a man for being embarrassed or sexually harassed or whatever it's seeing somebody who's gone through that pain and that trauma and this was not it they were shallow as shallow can be and i did not relate to any of them don't grin i've never been through any of that trauma i still couldn't even relate on a yeah girl power honestly they were as realistic as anyone from spy kid like they just didn't feel <laughs> like real people they felt like archetype that were kind of sloppily put together by someone who kind of saw archetypes out of the corner of their eye. Oh, she was raised on bad cop movies, so she has cheesy lines. That's her character. That and being a 
day drinker. But to her, this movie meant the world because then she continues to say how it's very much about female representation and the female experience. That she felt she was going through something like that herself and finding confidence in herself as a filmmaker, as a person, and as a woman of color in the world. Those were definitely things that she wanted to make sure were part of the story for this movie. I read a lot of Tumblr posts that were very praiseworthy. I admit I had a lot of this movie spoiled. Like a couple of the things that were brought up, one girl said it was so relatable to see that point when he pulls a tampon out of the back of her shorts because I carry tampons and also seeing a girl give another girl a scrunchie for her hair. Like that is so relatable. That is so shallow. But it, it represents on like a deeper level that women look out for women in very superficial ways, like in bathroom situations. Like when Harley gave Montoya the bulletproof vest to protect yeah. the girls. God. Like, it flew under the radar, but them mentioning Montoya, speaking of representation of women, her ex. She was the assistant DA. Oh, yeah, because I didn't even get that that's what they were saying. Well, because saying. they wanted to make it normal. In certain situations, like, oh, there's a lot of TV series where they really try to make it normal. I'm like, okay, cool, yay. But that was it. I mean, it is part of her character, too, though. She is canonically gay. That's kind of a big part of her character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But she's never in a romantic situation in this. So it really never comes up. It's not plot relevant. So you're right. They kind of just threw it in there for the pat on the head. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, honestly, if they'd had Montoya in there and they hadn't referenced that she was gay, don't you think people would have been a little bit angry? Probably. Yeah. They would have been even worse about it. Yeah, it's trying to find, like, that balance, really, for LGBTQ plus representation is kind of hard, especially in a film like this where she should be one of the main characters but isn't, and it's Harley. Uh, Could have made Montoya seem like a better character as well yeah. instead of, like, this washed-up cop that pretty much been thrown down at the bottom of the barrel. No one respects her, apparently, which is kind of bullshit. I don't care if the guy took credit for her case she still already has precedence with the rest of the precinct and if you also looked at the rest of the precinct when she left at the end of the film and they're applauding the captain who took once again credit for this case they're all men and she's the only woman at this entire office and i mean i think another thing that needs to be addressed when we're talking about representation of characters for the common audience so you're thinking about who's going to watch this it's going to be nerds right it's going to be people who grew up with these characters because that's the draw they're putting their names out there to attract these people well even if you don't read comics most of us have grown up on batman the animated tv series so we've seen montoya that's not one you can slide under right. the radar with and be like here's a character we pulled from the backlogs. This is a very beloved character from the cartoon. Mm -hmm. She is the top detective. Everyone loves her and respects her. Her partner drags her down. That is her trial in life, but she is partners with a slaw like Bullock. She doesn't slowly become Bullock either. She's not like this washed up, has been bitter, awful detective. She is sharp. She catches things. She's subtle and sly. Montoya is supposed to be this very streetwise, clever, on top of her game, beloved person. But it doesn't fit in the world that they've created where men are all evil and women are all victims. Montoya is not a victim. He's never a victim. Even when she is openly gay, she's not like, woe is me, I'm gay, like certain CW shows. She is very <laughs> in control. She is a trendsetter, if I may say so. So, I love her to pieces and I would have liked to have seen her get a little bit more respect in this instead of just... My point is, 
everybody's gonna know who she is. Maybe they won't know that she's gay because right. she's never openly gay in the cartoons. I think that came later. I don't remember if it came before or after she became the question, which is another major part about her. At least what we all saw as kids. She was a very respectable person. She was Jim Gordon's favorite for that reason. Kind of a bummer to say like, here's this character I've created. She's yeah. the worst. Love her. Again, just taking the names and just slapping them onto random people. Yeah. Overall, I hated this. It was thankfully only 90 minutes, so it flew right by for me. Oh longer but that is all we have to say today i do hope that you enjoyed this episode you can follow us on twitter and instagram at court of outlets let us know which comic you want us to cover next week and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on anchor apple google spotify pocket cast breaker radio public and everywhere else you may listen to your podcast and happy 80th Catwoman. we love you